The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. A couple of Christmases ago, um, we had a little problem in our family. Uh, It was Christmas Eve. We were actually here. We had some Christmas Eve services uh, just to worship and reflect on the Christmas story. And at the end of the final gathering, uh, someone brought Jack to me saying he had tripped and he was in a lot of pain. And when I saw his arm, I could tell something was wrong because it was going the wrong way. Um, and, um, and so uh, I, I just said, hey, don't, don't do anything. Uh, just ignore how much it hurts. Um, I need you to grab some of this heavy stuff over here and, and take it to the car so we can head home for Christmas. Um, in other words, act normal, move on, play like everything's fine. Uh, when you're hurt, it doesn't affect how you live. You laugh because those are pretty dumb words, right? And yet that's what you and I do with hurt all the time. However, I'm not talking about physical hurt. I'm talking about when you and I experience those moments in relationship where there's a rift, where something happens, where there's a certain tension, and all of a sudden, we, we try to cope by shoving it aside, by acting like everything's fine, by moving on with life, with everything normal except that one thing, and we kind of just leave that one thing over here, and, and it's just the way that it is. Just act normal. Just ignore it. Shut out the experience and move on with life and we leave hurt in our hearts thinking it doesn't affect our ability to live, and yet knowing deep down, it really does. It affects our joy. It affects our freedom. It affects the outward expression of our love for others. It even affects our view of faith in Christ. I mean, if I can't forgive others, do I really believe that God forgives me? Or is there a limit that I might reach someday? Or maybe I already reached that limit a long time ago or days ago. And now since I'm beyond that limit, I'm just stuck in the world of mess that I'm in. What I want to do is take a look at a story in Luke 8. Uh, Dr. Luke here writes something that is worth you and I paying attention to, even though my admission is this story is very uncomfortable. Luke chapter 7, and um, I'm actually going to start reading in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them off with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman this is. That she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said, To the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, today when we talk about forgiveness, I pray that not one person in this room, including me, none of us would escape. That these are powerful words and this story is poignant, not just for a religious leader from a long time ago, but poignant for us today as we exist in this world. God help us, we need it, and I pray for clarity uh, that we walk out of here. My hope would be set free from bitterness and unforgiveness in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to jump in starting at verse 41. I read the beginning portion, but I'm going to start at verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain money lender, one 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, if you study in the New Testament, the, the amount here, it's, it's really one day's wage. So one person owed 500, so almost two years worth of income, the other 50, so a couple of months worth of income. <clears throat> and, and so as the story goes, it says neither of them had the money to pay it back. So he forgave the debts of both. Can you imagine being forgiven either amount? I mean, throw, throw a money amount to it. It's, uh, let's say, you know, $10,000 or $100,000 or $20,000 and $200,000 or $50,000 and $500,000. Irregardless of the exact amount, can you imagine somebody walking up to you knowing full well that you owe this pile of money and going, hey, let's just call it good. I mean, how good would it feel for, for your, your, your mortgage company to send a letter in the mail going, hey, somebody paid it all, you're good? Yeah, a little, little less excited than you should be, but it's okay. We're <laughs> warming up here. But keep in mind, and I love because Jesus is, is the master teacher, keep in mind that, that Jesus is making a point here that they fully understand, that Simon fully understands because he's comparing this woman with the religious leader. We're going to keep reading, and we're going to come back to this a little bit in a second. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet, which would have been customary as they traveled with, with you know, basically sandals, similar to the things you see today, Birkenstocks. They're, they're traveling, and they would take them off at the door, and there would either be a servant at the door to wash the feet of everybody walking in, or they would at least have a water basin and, and some towels, and they would wipe off and clean off their feet and go into the dwelling they were going into. And so that's the picture of what's going on. That would be normal, and that didn't happen. Instead, Jesus says, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Let's keep reading. You didn't give me a kiss, but from the time this woman entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Again, a greeting walking in customarily would have been a kiss on one side or both sides of the cheek as a, a, you know, hey, come on in. Now, the picture of what this woman is doing makes me very uncomfortable I can't imagine being involved in, in, in a moment like this where somebody who's had an experience, we'll get to that in a minute, is so moved that this is what they're doing to express gratitude for what they now 
Understand, that's a vague statement, but if you're not uncomfortable with those verses, I kind of think something's wrong with you. This woman walks in, and, and, and she's you know, weeping on Jesus' feet, and again, when they would eat as they recline, their feet would be back, and it had, they would have easy access to individuals' feet. That's what's going on, but it's an uncomfortable situation either way. Now, some would say, well, maybe this is you know, the town harlot, the town prostitute, and, and she's trying to seduce Jesus, but we don't have any, you know, uh, any, any clue that that's actually what's going on. Have you ever seen the expression of someone that's won a huge prize? Yeah, you ever seen those videos? They show like publisher's clearinghouse. You know, they come up to the door with balloons and a big check and, you know, ding dong. And they open the door and there they are. And the person like is bawling and dancing and running into their house, yelling to the rest of their family to come out and look at this. And this is amazing. That's kind of this, this revelation that this woman has had at some point or another. She, she's come to believe in Jesus as the Christ, and she's deeply indebted to his grace. She's on one hand broken apart because of her sin, and on another hand embarrassingly grateful for Jesus. And so that's kind of the setting, and it says, there, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but, who, for, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That's kind of the meat of the story Jesus is trying to get to. But, but let me walk you through a little bit here. Jesus says one individual owes 50 denarii, the other 500. The question Jesus poses, or the question I want to bring up is this, which one of these individuals can't pay back their debt? Both of them, exactly. Neither one of them can pay. They're both in a mess. And, and while she may be in the story 10 times the sinner that he is, without God's grace, they're both in an absolute broken mess. Verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but, for, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. It helps to understand, listen, it helps to understand God's forgiveness of us to understand why he asks us to forgive others. Let me say that again. It helps us to understand God's forgiveness of ourselves to understand why he asks us to forgive others. Why? Because the simple truth for every single one of us in this room is that without God's grace, we're all in a mess. We need to understand a few simple spiritual principles. And it starts with this. Number one, sin is a universal problem. Sin is a universal problem. Some of you are well aware of the verse Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, now that idea, that picture is not, we fall short like, here's the finish line at the edge of the stage, and I came up just short. That's not the idea. The idea is more like this. For all have sinned, and it would be more like you and I trying to cross the Grand Canyon on a pogo stick to get to God through you know, what sin does. It separates us immensely from who God is. How many sins does it take? See, the, the, the beauty of you and I understanding 
the story that Jesus is trying to help Simon realize is this. Because sin is a universal problem, there's no point in considering how much less sin you've committed than anyone else. It's not about that it's one sin or 500 sins or 5,000 sins. The bar is raised when you read something that Paul says, anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Which means every day you and I are in trouble. Which means every day there's moments and, 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 and series of our lives and days that play out where we're living in this, this mess of sin. And it's not about me comparing myself to you going, hey, I'm in pretty good shape compared to you and you. Maybe not so much. You're better than I am. It's impossible for you and I to really compare who the bigger sinner is. Partly because we all realize that there are certain sins that are obvious. External, that's sin. Another sin that is way more subtle that maybe nobody would even see but you know is in there. And so the idea of trying to compare me to you and my sin to yours and where's the scale doesn't matter. The other part that doesn't matter is it's not this either. Well, there's sin in my life and the pile's about this high, so I've got to make the, the, the good stuff pile, the good works pile, even bigger to outweigh this pile so that someday, if there's an eternity, I can get there with God. See, what I love is that because sin is a universal problem, we really can't compare our sin to one another, but we also can't try to pile up good works in order to earn our way out of sin. But the beauty of the picture is this. If you're taking notes, write down Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. As for you, it says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, listen to this, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace that we have been saved. This is why the cross is such a powerful symbol to those of us that are followers of Christ. This is why when you hear about things like the, the, the broken body of Jesus, the blood that was shed, and we can sing about the blood, and it's not weird, although it's kind of weird, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, I'm not trying to make light of it, but if, if there were any other genre singing about blood, it would be like death metal. But here we are, and we're celebrating someone's blood being shed. Why? Because that's what matters. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. Sin's a universal problem, and so there's no point in considering if you're a bigger sinner than I am or I'm a bigger sinner than you are because sin is a problem for all of us there's only one remedy, and that's the cross of Christ. 
That's where we find that new beginning. That's where we find that fresh start. That's where we find the grace that we need to exist at all as followers of Jesus. The third point I want to make is this. God's forgiveness is offered to all of us through the cross. I mentioned Romans 3.23, and some of you guys remember these verses from years ago, but Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The final point here, and I'm going to continue on, if we receive it, we give it. Now, I'm not going to beat around the bush in this conversation today because this is a big deal. If we receive grace, then we've got to give grace. That where every one of us needs the grace of God, the unearned favor of God, we need that. And that's what God did through the cross of Christ. Because we've received it, God, come into my life, forgive me of the sins I've committed. I want you to be my Lord, that we receive it, and that's great. But it's not enough for you and I to go, man, I feel the weight lifted. Wow, I have a joy. Wow, I'm living in a freedom. My goodness, I love this life and I can't wait to get to eternity and all that God has for me. Great. But what about your need to extend grace to others? See, that's the point that Jesus is making in Luke chapter 7. Simon I have something to tell you. Bob, I have something to tell you. Hey, Mike, I have something to tell you. Hi, Joy. I have something to tell you. Becky, I have something to tell you. See, it's something about for you and me understanding God's grace is so huge towards us. But it's not enough to just enjoy it and appreciate it and make it feel great. It's for you and I to extend towards others. Simon, great, you got it together. You're thinking, awesome. But what about her? What about the fact that she's lost? What about the fact that things have gone wrong? What about the fact that that she's lived a certain life? What about it? My grace is there for her too. And it's not just the grace of God that's so needed, but it's the grace that you and I provide for the people around us that are broken. If we receive it, we give it. See, forgiveness is a decision. Jesus is our example. We've said that so many times that that we look at who Christ is, and yes, it's about him being Lord, but it's also about realizing he's the perfect human example. And yet the individuals that beat him, that whipped him, that, that, that put a crown of thorns on him, that laid him down on a couple of pieces of wood and drove nails through his hands and his feet and propped him up publicly for people to see, and yet what did he say from the cross? Father, smite them, for they're a bunch of jerks. Father, walk away from them, because if they don't love me, they clearly don't love you. Father, they don't deserve grace or forgiveness. Look at what they've done to me. 
What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's the case that I want to challenge all of us. That's the lens I want to challenge every single one of us in this room to look through. How many of you have been hurt by somebody else? Just raise your hands. Okay, put your hands down. I want everybody, just raise your hands like this. Everybody raise your hands like that. Good, now we're on the right track, see? Because there's no doubt about it in our lives, we've been hurt by other people. When we talk about the need to forgive or, or relationships that are sideways or whatever, there's people that come to mind. And yet, if Jesus can say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, then it raises the bar for you and I to understand. I'm not here to walk through all that happened to you or how severe it is or what's gone on or how long it's taken place. I'm here to remind you you're, you're brought to a place of confronting the need to forgive because forgiveness isn't just about letting a person off the hook because that's not necessarily the case. Forgiveness is about setting yourself free from the bonds of unforgiveness and bitterness, and anger that will eat you alive. Paul reminds us a couple of different times. If you're taking notes, you can write down Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, and Colossians 3, 12 through 14. To the church at Ephesus, get rid of all bitterness, Rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Look at the words on the screen. Forgiving each other just as... What does it say? Who? Just as... In Christ, God forgave you. You're called to forgive just like God forgives you. Is there anything you can't be forgiven of? Are you forgiving to the same degree to, towards others? He says again in, in, in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. You know, I notice about the, these couple of verses in each of these letters that Paul wrote that both times when he mentions this forgiveness, he also uh, includes in that list. Kindness and humility. And over and over as you look at this idea or this picture of forgiveness, it requires you and I living in humility. So how do we move towards forgiveness? It's a simple list as I'm going through again, studying, trying to, trying to put this together. How do we move towards forgiveness? If you're taking notes, here's a couple things. How do you move towards forgiveness? Number one, acknowledge the hurt. That doesn't mean you go out and tell everybody, this hurts. Look what they did. It's acknowledging internally, I'm hurt. It's not saying, oh, I'm not hurt. It doesn't hurt. Oh, it's no big deal. 
Oh, nothing happened. Oh, I'm just, whatever, brush it aside. Acknowledge, this hurts. It hurts. The second thing, pray over it. And you say, why do you say, pray? not pray about it, or pray for it? Pray over it. Because part of you and I praying over it is not only praying, God, here's what happened, here's how it makes me feel, and I'm angry, and I can't stand that, and I'm frustrated about, but also praying over whoever's involved in, in the mix of, of the rift of the relationship. I don't know what they're doing or what they're thinking or how that went, but God, would you open their hearts and open their eyes and help them and help them understand and help me understand. Pray over the whole thing. God, what does it look like for me to even forgive? I don't feel like forgiving. I don't want to forgive. I'm angry. I'm whatever. God, all pray over all of it. It's not like God is not knowing how you feel. Huh, I had no idea you felt that way. The third thing, refuse to fixate on the hurt. Refuse to fixate on the hurt. What I mean is this. When, when you have the emotion or you're, you're having the anger fantasy in your brain or, or whatever's going on, I want to challenge you, like I said a couple of weeks ago, to take that thought captive and lean in. I've said many times before, lean in in prayer, lean in in worship, lean in in reading, lean in in reading Luke 7 if you need to. Make that your goal. I'm not going to fixate on I want to read Luke 7 because it helps me understand we're all in a mess here. We're all in a mess here. Refuse to fixate on it. Fourth thing, understand we need God's grace for our sin, which leads to finally, therefore, I can extend God's grace to others. Anybody ever heard of the Lord's Prayer, perchance? The disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And what did Jesus say? When you pray... Here's what you can do. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Many of us know these words, different versions of it. I know you're like, that's not King James. I get it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today what we need. Give us our daily bread. And, ready for it? Some of you might need to buckle your seatbelts. Give us this day our daily bread Forgive us our trespasses as, it's all it's the same sense, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus literally is reminding the disciples how to pray, not as a formula to memorize, but reminding us that when it comes to forgiveness, God, help me you know, forgive others in the same way that I'm forgiven. I want to live in forgiveness the same way you forgive me. Because, and I'm not going to beat around the bush about this. Let's finish the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll go to the other two verses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you read a different version. It says, for those, thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. But in Matthew 9, if you're taking notes, write down verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I am not going to skip those verses for the sake of, of trying to make this easy on any of us. Jesus says, and I'm not going to, Jesus says, if we don't forgive others, we're not going to find the forgiveness we need. And I can't rewrite that. I can't go, hey, let's look at the Greek. He must be wording that wrong. Well, let's go to Septuagint and figure out what does he mean here because it can't mean that. 
I got nothing else. If we refuse to forgive others, we're limiting God's forgiveness in our own lives. And that is a sorrowful, terrible place to be. Let's go back to the story in Luke 7 briefly. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. If you read, study, whatever, certain topics, and and you look this stuff up, there's nothing more powerful in psychology than these phrases, I love you, and I forgive you. You know why? Because being loved and being secure in love of our Heavenly Father or love for others puts us in a place of, of, of being able to become who we're called to be instead of living in insecurity. The words, I forgive you, means that we're not going to let this rift taint what we have. And I realize, and we can all go back to, but, but some of the hurt, some of the things, some of the stuff, relationships can never be the same. I agree, based on the need for, for boundaries. and I get that. But I want to tell you that you and I are absolutely called to forgive others that have sinned against us, period. I got nothing else to say because I'd be going beyond what Scripture says if I tried. Now, the weekly equation that I'm finally getting to at the very end of the message today is this, in brackets, hurt minus fixation. That's the beginning. When something happens and you're hurt by that, emotionally, relationally, Mentally, when you experience hurt, don't fixate on the hurt. Because what tends to happen is we stir up anger fantasies. What happens is we we almost make it worse. What happens sometimes is that we begin to exaggerate the whole situation when we fixate on it. So hurt minus fixation. Then what do I do then if I'm not supposed to fixate on it? What do I do then if I feel it all and my anger and my blood and that happened? How dare and what in the world? No, let me challenge you to go back to let's walk in. let's, Let's push ourselves towards maturity and let's attempt to lean into worshiping our Lord. Let's lean into praying over the situation. Let's lean into looking at Scripture, realizing that we're as a sorry mess as anybody else. And we don't deserve grace. And and where would you and I be, by the way, without grace? Maybe you just need to ponder that for the week. Not to make you depressed, but do you understand? Where would you and I be without hurt minus fixation and then multiply? You already gave it away. What happened? Times grace. And somebody in the lobby hit me up and said, it's actually times grace. You need to add an X to the top of grace on the right side because it's multiplied times multiplied. Like, well, I'm no mathematician, so it's okay. But but I put times grace because here's what I know. That when you and I have experienced hurt in different ways, when you and I have walked through those situations, there, there needs to be exponential grace. And sometimes you have grace one moment. You ever notice this? Grace, go, I just, Lord, I want to move on. Thank you for your grace. And then two minutes later, you're angry and frustrated. Is anybody, that's me sometimes. Like, I'm good, we're good, and then, nope, not good. So sometimes it's like, I got to pour a cup of grace on this every few minutes, every few hours, every few days. I, Lord, I don't want you to get the, you know, I don't want the enemy to get the best of this. I just, Lord, help me walk in, multiplied by grace, understanding because I need grace, I want to make sure I can give grace. And when, when we can live there, That's when we can move towards forgiveness. That's where we can begin to accomplish the forgiveness needed. 
I happened to be listening to something accidentally um, from Shanti Feldhahn. She's an author, and, and she had been studying and talking to different um, like psychologists and stuff about the mind and about um, forgiveness and anger and stuff. And she said this, and I just happened to catch this as I was driving. Um, she said, when we fixate and, and we allow that anger to get the best of us, sometimes what people will say is, well, I just need to, to let off some steam so I don't actually blow up. You know, release some steam so I don't actually blow up. And she said that she had this conversation with, with some of these individuals in interviewing for this topic to write about. And she said, here's what psychologists have to say. When you and I blow off some of that steam so we don't actually explode at some point, we're actually not getting better. It's actually creating a pattern where it gets worse. She said, instead of looking at it as you're blowing off steam, she said, look at it this way as you're turning up the heat which means you're making it worse because many of us have seen this when we blow off steam even a little bit and people are a little hurt or whatever. Well, I just had to do that so I didn't actually explode. But then we get into a pattern of it. What happens? We continue to be angry. We continue to blow up and then we become an abuser. Then we become a mess where we don't just let go and everything changes because it doesn't get better. It gets worse. And every one of us in here is like, yep, that makes sense. Because that's the pattern you see when you excuse the anger. I just got to blow off some steam and it'll get better. It doesn't get better. That's why I'm telling you, the word grace cannot be understated. Let me, let me begin to wrap up with this. Do you realize the magnitude of your sin and your need for grace? And it's not to beat ourselves up and make us feel horrible. But when we begin to get a picture like Jesus was trying to paint for Simon, Simon, you're not so innocent yourself. You're not in such a great place yourself. Do you understand that grace is needed all over this thing? That for you and I, grace is needed all over the place. Whether it's issues you would say those are small or they're huge, grace, grace, grace. Let me ask you this. Would you want God to forgive you in the same way that you are presently forgiving others? Would you want God to forgive you in the same way that you are presently forgiving other people? I mentioned in the midweek checkup a few weeks ago this story of a guy named Brant Jean. And maybe you caught this story, but let me refresh your memory. In 2018, a police officer in Texas, and I forget the city, I want to say Dallas, but a police officer uh, stormed into her apartment and, and shot a guy dead. The guy wasn't armed. The guy was, in fact, eating a bowl of ice cream. The problem was, somehow, she thought it was her apartment, and it wasn't. She went into the wrong apartment. The brother of the guy that was shot dead um, obviously was, was in the hearings, and there were people testifying. Well, they came down to finally, just a few weeks ago, her sentencing. She was fired from her job. She was um, uh, convicted of murder, and she was given 10 years in prison. That being said, after the sentencing, Brant Jean, who was the brother, um, went to take the stand and wanted to share from his heart um, about the situation and what he wanted to say to this woman that was fired and sentenced to 10 years. And I want you to see this because to me, um, this paints the picture better than I ever could. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. 
but I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. The reason I even take a moment to play that is because I desperately want every one of us to get to the place where we can walk in the kind of forgiveness that God wants us to walk in. And excuse me, but I can't help thinking of a better picture of it when a brother is shot dead and then a year later in court. If he can forgive, if Jesus from the cross can say, forgive them, then dear God, help us all figure out how to get to a place where we're not going to live in bitterness, where we're not going to live in unforgiveness, where we're not going to live in anger over stuff that's happened. Stuff happens, and I'm not trying to make light of it. But dear God, help us realize we're all in a mess without God's grace. Help us realize, God, we need it, and we also need to give it. Amen. Jesus, it's, a, it's not an easy topic. But Lord, it's my prayer for all of us. We experience hurt. There are people that, that do stuff. And, and it's, to me today, it's not about the degree of it or, or how long or whatever. It's not about everything being honky-dory. It's about realizing that we are held prisoner when we don't forgive. That it's like a trick of the enemy that we feel like if I could get back at him, if I could get revenge, if, if, if justice could have been served, if, if they would just understand, if, if they would just apologize, if they would. But, but sometimes we're stuck because it's not about them. It becomes about us. And for, for Simon, Luke, Jesus is saying in Luke to Simon, Simon, do you understand? The dead is there, Period. Whether it's hers or yours, neither of you can pay it. But that's why grace is so amazing. And my prayer is as we walk out of here, we begin to move towards forgiveness when we think about those people, when we think about circumstances, when we think about what's going on, when we think about how we react, when we think about what we hold on to. God, help us move towards forgiveness. Hurt minus fixating on it multiplied by grace times grace times grace times grace times grace. Dear Jesus, help us live in your grace equals forgiveness. Help us get there. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. 
If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.